Imagine if in the middle of that song, I just walked up and I interrupted and I just said, no, 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 stop, 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 stop. And then I kind of walked in um, and I said, no, 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 sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down, sit down. And I just said, I, I don't think we can sing. You guys can go. Um, uh, I'm about to preach. Uh, maybe I've started. I don't know. Uh, it's, it's one of those things where it's, that song is just so true. Think, think of the statement. God in three persons, wow, that's deep. Blessed Trinity, thinking about the Trinitarian nature of God, Father, Son, and Spirit, all living in perfect unity. And then there's this line, merciful and mighty. Uh, I don't know if you, if you just as you were singing that, you were going more than I, more than I could ever, ever know how merciful God is. Like I, I could not exaggerate to you the goodness and the mercy and the grace of God. Um, I, I could not speak about it and get to the end of his grace and his kindness and his mercy to us. I'm reminded of a friend of mine who always said that you cannot, um, if, you, if you don't preach about the grace of God and somehow not offend someone because it seems like it's too easy, you probably haven't preached grace. Jesus would do this and it would shock people. Merciful and mighty. Uh, I think we forget about that. We forget about um, not, not just being solemn or being reverent, which is clearly a part of our spiritual expression to God, being reverent and being solemn, um, but the mighty uh, righteousness of God. And, and we walked in kind of casually today, at least I did, I kind of walked in somewhat presumptuously uh, into the presence of God. And our text, if you have your Bibles, turn to Mark chapter 11. Our text confronts that, actually. Our text comes along <clears throat> and really gives us a bit of a kick. Imagine if Jesus walked in in the middle of your worship and just looked at you. And I don't know how he said it. I don't know if it would be more forceful or kind. And whatever you think Jesus would always say to you, just don't be surprised if he would, if he would do something different. He always did something different. Um, we just told you to be quiet and sit down for a moment. I, I think this text is, is, is uh, this, my sermon title is Stop the Worship. And that's what happens in Mark chapter 11. Is Jesus walks into the context where a bunch of really religious people are doing their religious thing and he just stops it all. Not another song, not another prayer, not another gift, nothing. I just, I need you to stop it completely. It's jarring, isn't it? That's what he does. So here's our text, Mark chapter 11, beginning in verse 15. They came to Jerusalem and he went into the temple and began to throw out those buying and selling he overturned the tables of the money changers and the chairs of those selling doves and would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. He was teaching them, it is, is it not written, my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations, but you have made it a den of thieves. And the chief priests and the scribes heard it and started looking for a way to kill him, for they were afraid of him because the whole crowd was astonished by his teaching. This is the word of the Lord. 
And this is the text that you and I have this morning to reckon with. And the problem is, is that I have reckoned with this text for far too often, um, not seeing myself as someone who is a buyer and seller of uh, religious product, as a, what, what seems to be in the text at first glance, at wrong first glance, that the problem is the buying and the selling of doves and goods. That's what it seems like. And that's why we don't sell cassettes in the lobby. Actually, we don't sell cassettes in the lobby because people don't buy cassettes anywhere. <clears throat> uh, we sell DVDs. What are those, right? Um, so that, that's not the point. And that's actually something really easy for me to dodge. I've dodged this text for numerous times because I look at it and I see the little section of, in front of it, cleansing of the temple, and Jesus cleans the temple of all the really terrible people, the buyers and the sellers, those people who really aren't interested in praying, and he leaves me and a few of us in the temple alone as he kicks out all the bad guys. Yeah, not what the text is about. I don't even know, more than actually cleansing the temple, and this is why they're so angry, more than just cleansing the temple, he's, he's doing something that is much more profound He's doing something that would make all of us just kind of stop and swallow hard. He asks us all to kind of check at the door our pride and our arrogance. And he asks this question, not because he's trying to stir up confusing thoughts, but he just asks this question, um, like, are you following Jesus? Uh, is, is your life living out and being, being, trusting him, loving him, and is it being built upon his teaching right, which that's all Jesus talked about, was building our lives upon him and his work. Is that what's going on or are you uh, kind of living your own life and doing your own thing and then you have like a religious moment? Uh, it might, might be Sunday, but the good news is now you can do it whenever you want. You don't even have to do it on Sunday and you don't have to do it in here. And what Jesus is asking is, have, have you created a, a safe place where you can uh, feel like you and God are okay, but you're not okay. Safe place. It's a real popular thing. It's happening everywhere, trying to create safe places. And I, and I get it. When I, I first think of a, a safe place, I actually think about um, a, a place here in Stillwater that I began praying for and back in 2004, every Tuesday at seven o'clock in the morning, I would pray with Terry and Genevieve and Larry and Brenda and we would pray for Wings of Hope, an organization that was committed to provide a safe place. And uh, they, they needed another place, a literal place in which it was more safe because they, they wanted to put an end, I mean, do we ever, can we ever put an end, an end to domestic violence? And they needed a new location. They had a location, then they had another location, and they really needed a place that was really, really a safe place. And, and what's interesting is, is they, they didn't just need a safe place where people feel safe. I mean, a lot of us want a place where we feel safe. But can I just be honest with you? I don't want a place where I feel safe. I really want a place where I am safe. And, and think about it. Wings of Hope is a secure place. That's how they describe themselves. In 2012, they opened up their building. They're a secure place, a safe place for those who are suffering from domestic violence. So it exists 
because the place where God intended it to be safe are homes, a mom and a dad loving one another, a mom and a dad. I mean, there might be disagreements, but they, they speak kindly to one another. A place where children are not abused or abandoned. And that place that God intended is now a place where there is violence and harm. Think about that. We have to create a safe place because the home, the place where God intended, the marriage, the place where God intended, um, the relationships, mom and dads with children, it's no longer safe. So we had to create a safe place. And that's why we have a butterfly outside. When you walk in these doors, you see that, but you see them all over town, right? It's our way of saying we, we care about those people who are not, their, their supposed safe place where they should feel safe is dangerous. And this is a place where they can go and, and, and get help. Our, our new building that we built, one of the real, real premises of it is um, we wanted to create a secure place where children can come and worship God. Um, we, we wanted the, the message to be the most dangerous thing in the room. We wanted children to be loved and to be cared for and to be trained in the fear and the admonition of the Lord and that they would grow and they would worship him and that it would be safe. I mean, we are becoming obsessed, are we not, with creating safe places for us to not just feel safe, but to genuinely be safe. And there's probably nothing worse. Can you imagine if we said, oh yeah, no, 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 like it's not safe at all. Like we, 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 have, we, have, we have no intentions of really keeping your kids safe. You would say, that's actually worse. When you put that outside and then you don't follow through on the other side, that's actually worse because I let my guard down. Like I thought it was, a, I mean, I, I'd like to at least be able to know to keep my guard up, but you told me to put my guard down and then I was in, my children were in danger. Right, you get upset. And rightfully so. Um, March, April, May, in the state of Oklahoma, we're looking for a safe place. Can, can you, we, get, we get calls all the time. Hey, do you have a place in the church where we could come? Can you imagine if we came and we, we brought them and we packed it all in and you know, we didn't think anything was gonna happen anyway and we told them it was a safe place and it wasn't. And tornado hits. Can you imagine the fallout from that? but you said it was a safe place. You said if we came, we would be safe. And, and in the end, it wasn't. Like we wouldn't have come. And Jesus walks into the temple and he says, um, stop it. You guys feel safe walking in here? You got your lamb under your arm? You're walking up, you're gonna offer it, you're gonna kind of walk out thinking that you and God are good and you're not good. It's not okay. Like it, it's easy to just take a shot at the, at, the, at the money changers, isn't it? Here's the problem. There's more going on. I, I wanna take um, a little bit of a step back in time and then a move forward in gospels. Turn to Luke 19. I, I really do wish Mark would have included this, but under the direction of the Holy Spirit, I've got nothing to say to him regarding that. But this is an account that really helps us understand like what's going on, right, Ryan? So we're coming in for the triumphal entry 
and Jesus is walking up to the city of Jerusalem. It's kind of the last time. He's going to go in and out to Bethany, which is a small little village, just two miles. If you go up over the, uh, out the eastern gate and up over the hill of, of the Mount of Olives, you'll find the city of Bethany. And so he'll go in and out of that during this last week. But, but here he is approaching Jerusalem <clears throat> and for the last time ready to die. Jesus is going to be rejected. The Messiah is going to be rejected. God's anointed one, the one that God sent to bring peace, is about to be rejected and mocked and killed. And as he approached, so this is Luke 19, beginning at verse 41. Look at this. As he approached and saw the city, he wept for it. And it's not like, oh, guys, I so wish you'd get it. I so wanted your lives to be better than it really is, and you're missing out on some things. Listen to, the, listen to the weight, right? The gravitas of this moment. If you knew this day, what would bring you peace? But now it is hidden from your eyes for the days will come when your enemies will build a barricade around you, surround you and hem you in on every side. And then they will crush you and your children among you to the ground. Like, that's why he's weeping. They will crush you and your children to the ground. And they will not leave one stone on another in your midst. Okay, whoa, 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 Jesus, what did we do? What did we do that was so bad? Why is God so angry? Uh, you, you know people that, um, that don't recognize Jesus for who he is? How many of you know someone who doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is? I know someone that doesn't recognize Jesus for who he is. Yeah, that's what. They just don't recognize Jesus for who he is. Now, by the way, there, there seems to be a, a bit of an added weight for this because they were looking for the Messiah. They were expecting the Messiah. And then when the Messiah came, they decided to reject him. And, and, and by the way, it's, it's not just that they killed him. They killed him because they rejected him. It is the rejection of Jesus. The, we don't want you and he's the Messiah. We don't want you, and he's the anointed one of God. We don't want you, and he's the one who came to bring peace. We don't want you. No, 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 we're still going to the temple. We're still offering up our sacrifices. We're still good with the big guy. We just don't want you. And Jesus says, because you did not recognize the time when God visited you. And Jesus is walking into their midst. And he's not just mad that they're going to kill him he is weeping because he sees ahead of them all of the implications of their rejection as we get ready for Easter. And, and, and see, that's, that's why I've just got to stop and go, those people that I know that are rejecting Jesus, and I can't make them accept him, um, they're, they're not just making an alternative life choice. I, I would even argue maybe especially this week and the weeks that are coming up, I just feel increasingly convicted about my okayness with people who reject Jesus because, I mean, what's it really going to cost them? They seem, they seem happy. I don't know if you heard, they bought a Volvo. Right? Like, seriously, like, they're, they're kids. Um, I, I heard they're going to the University of Illinois Engineering. That's a great school. Yeah, yeah, no, no, they don't have Jesus in their life, but honestly, they're, they're doing well. I would never say that, and standing in front of you, I'm, I'm far more convicted, but if we're just going to be honest, how many of you are kind of okay with people who you know and love and care for who aren't really having a relationship with Jesus? And uh, 
I'll get around to talking to them about that. And, and Jesus seems to see it as a really, really, really big deal. And, and especially those, by the way, who are still at some level in their lives going through some religious movement, some religious uh, peace. That, that's, that's the one that's the real kicker. It's one thing if they don't want anything to do with Jesus and they know they don't want anything to do with Jesus or God and they know that they're ready to kind of face his wrath or doubt his wrath or his presence exists. That's one thing. But what about those people who are just kind of going through the motions? I mean, just take a look around. You don't think there's some of us kind of going through the motions this morning? And you're the third group of people I've talked to. Oh, second service people. Yeah, that's what I thought too. Here's the only problem. They thought it was third service people since you're the latest ones to get here. 830 people, they were the most religious. I didn't even have to stop their worship. Huh. That's why I love verse 16 in our text. I recommend you underline it. Mark chapter 11, look at verse 16. What is Jesus doing? Like he is, he's dealing with the money changers, but I got so attracted to money changers and I, I don't even like the, you know, the business side of the church. I'd rather pray and do spiritual things like read my Bible instead of dealing with money. Well, except for the rest of my life then I think about money all the time. But when I come to church, I get religious, right? Okay. And so it's easy for me to sidestep what Jesus is doing, but verse 16 hits me square. And he would not permit anyone to carry goods through the temple. That's what he's doing. He is stopping the money changers because when you stop the money changers, you stop everything. What are you going to do? Where are you going to get your goat? Where are you going to get your lamb? Where are you going to get your sheep? Where are you going to get your doves? Where are you going to get that one thing that you're going to take to the end of the line that's going to make you feel good about yourself so you can go home and go home and get on with the rest of your life? I gave you 60 minutes. Let's go. This isn't like a basketball game where I love double overtime. Let's do this. So I can get on with my life. I got things I got to do. And Jesus comes into that and he just says, stop all of it. Stop everyone. And he would not let them carry the things through. See, and all of a sudden, it's, uh, it's not just the money changers he chased out. But it's, Jim just kind of standing there going, can I? Can, can I? <laughs> nope. And, and then what I love about Jesus is he, he, just, he just doesn't act, he then teaches. And so verse 17 is very important. And he was teaching them. So he's not just angry. And he was teaching them, is it not written that my house will be called a house of prayer for all nations? And, and then again, we got to get into the spiritual mood. We, we don't realize what he's doing is quoting Isaiah 56. Have you read Isaiah 56 lately? Isaiah 56 is an incredible chapter, especially the first eight verses, where Isaiah is promising a time when all the nations will be able to come in and worship the Lord. And, and here is the repeated idea in those eight verses, which is, I think, why Jesus is going there. It, it's not just about prayer and it's not just about all the nations. It is about God's ultimate time in which the people who will worship him will actually do so faithfully. Like there will be a covenantal faithfulness that the people who will come into the house of the Lord will do so 
from a, a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday that loved the Lord. And then we come in Sunday to just not, not, not like do our spiritual stuff so we can go back to our, but literally is like this overflow of thanks and praise and good. Oh Lord, you are good. And, and it's just, and here are my, here's, here's my way of giving to the, what, what, what God, what you're doing God. And I'm just so grateful to be with my brothers and sisters and we're faithfully pursuing you Lord. And, and what it is describing is a, this, this, this phrase is repeated a number of times, covenantally faithful. They observe the Sabbath. They observe the laws. They treat one another well. They do not steal. And, and so what it is describing, this house of prayer for all the nations, are these people that are able to walk before God with integrity and covenantal faithfulness. They're not worshiping, and then they're literally like having an affair they're committing adultery. They're, they're coming and they're doing their thing now and then they're gonna look at porn this afternoon. But they, this, is, this is good. They're gonna walk out on their family. They're going to abuse their children. They're going to continue their unjust business practices. But not until tomorrow morning. Office opens at nine. Holy, 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 merciful and mighty. And Jesus says, I just need you to get a better sense of how, how the Lord works. And I, I, I quickly say only in America, but it truly is a Western idea. Um, we have found a way to create a religiosity that allows people to have their lives and then just kind of do religious things. Like, do you have a religion where I can just kind of do my own thing and then just kind of pay my, my dues? Oh yeah, we can create a religion. Not this religion. Not, not Christianity, not the way of the cross, not the way of the Lord, not the way that is faithful to the teachings of Jeremiah the prophet or Moses the great prophet. No, no, no. God always calls for covenantal faithfulness. I had a conversation with a young man years ago in a Panera Bread where he was just believing that what he did when he was 12 at Falls Creek covered him. I said, I kind of get what you're saying. I just want you to do this for me, brother. I want you to go back and I want you to find in the teachings of the Gospels the words of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ where he somehow allows, permits, or even recommends that you can live a life in disobedience to him and he's okay with it. doesn't exist. Uh, you could find someone who would tell you that. I'm telling you, they're lying to you. And Jesus is saying, the lying is done. And, and this is what I love this line. But you've made it a den of thieves. So he's quoted Isaiah 56 about covenantal integrity, covenantal faithfulness in which all the nations will come in and, and pray before the Lord, commune with the Lord. And instead of it being that, a place of covenantal faithfulness, you've turned it into a den of robbers. The robbers and the money changers is what threw me. And I needed to look deeper into the text. It's a den of thieves. It's a place where wicked people go and they think they're fine. I'm telling you, if you're a person living covenantally unfaithful to God, this is one of the worst places for you. And I mean this with all Glory to God, and even for your own benefit, I pray that you find no peace today. 
I pray that you find no safety today. See, he quotes Jeremiah 7. Look at this wonderful text. This is what he quotes, Jeremiah 7. So this tells me that what Jesus is dealing with the week before he dies is the same thing at a level, same thing Jeremiah was dealing with in the the first temple that Solomon built. And they kind of went in, they were doing whatever they wanted, but they kind of went in and they thought, hey, as long as this place is standing, God's good with me, right? As long as this place is standing, I think everything's good. Jeremiah walks in. This is what the word, Jeremiah chapter seven, verse one. This is the word that came to Jeremiah from the Lord. Stand in the gate of the house of the Lord and call out this word. Hear the word of the Lord, all you people of Judah who enter these gates to worship the Lord. This is what the Lord of armies, the God of Israel says. Correct your ways and your actions and I will allow you to live in this place. Do not trust in deceitful words, chanting, this is the temple of the Lord. Remember what I did at Youthquake 2012? This is the temple of the Lord. Do you remember when we had that really awesome experience in college? This is the temple of the Lord. Instead, by the way, I added a couple of those things were just mine adding, just if you didn't see it. Instead, if you really correct your ways and your actions, if you act justly towards one another, if you no longer oppress the resident alien, the fatherless and the widow, no longer shed innocent blood in this place or follow other gods, basically covenantal faithfulness. Like I know some of those things are different. You're going, I've never shed innocent blood. I don't know what you're, this is not me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You can easily substitute all the teachings of Jesus here. All the teachings of Jesus here. And, and, then, and then do you like exclude ones that bother you? Sidestep ones that convict you? You know, one of my favorite verses in the Bible is, and this is what I love about favorite verses, is I can ignore all the really convicting verses. This is one of my favorite verses in the Bible. Nope. Follow other gods. And I love this. Look at this statement. Doing all of these things, being covenantally unfaithful to the teachings of Jesus, although Jeremiah is talking about the, the Lord here, and bringing harm upon yourselves. Like you think you're safe and you're bringing harm upon yourselves. And then you, you prayed about it for a moment and you felt good about what you were doing and your own spirit convicted you of um, how awesome you are. Even though the word of the Lord said, He says, I will allow you to live in this place, the land that I gave your ancestors long ago and forever. And I love this. Look at verse eight. But, you, but look, you keep on trusting deceitful words that cannot help you. I'm not kidding. It's, it's, it's becoming increasingly common with this safe space type idea and this creating. It, I, I now regularly have people go, hey, I'm, I'm dealing with some things in my life and this is what I want you to tell me because I need to be affirmed. I'm not kidding. Here, here's, what I'm, here's what I'm doing in my life. And um, my, my counselor told me that I need to surround myself with people who are going to affirm me. And so I need you to affirm me. So can you please read this script to me? I get that all the time. And, and I'm not there to fight them. I'm just like, I can't read this script. This script is broken. Well, but I, here's the thing is, I really need to be affirmed um, because I... Well, because I need to be affirmed. I need this to be a safe space. And, and Jesus is not allowed in places like that. God's word is not allowed in places like that. So here's where there is no safety. 
So I need us to be aware of this. There is no safety in a false gospel. And so if somehow you have accepted something that you believe is kind of creating peace with God and it's not salvation by putting your faith and trust in Jesus Christ and in him alone and in his work, but instead you've decided to buy something else, something that's easier, something that's more palatable, something that allows you to go on with your life, then there is no safety there. And you need to hear that. There is no safety in your own goodness, present or past. There is no safety there. Um, and, and interestingly enough, whenever we do want to find safety in our own goodness, it's always relative goodness. We, we never really pick like Jesus as the standard. And, and by the way, this is interesting. Like it's Christian people who do this, who kind of believe that, you know, Jesus is there and it's grace but I don't really like follow him. So it's not like grace applied to my life and obedience to him. It literally is just me kind of living my life and then just kind of going, but Jesus, you said we're good, right, bro? That's, that's, that's not. Mo most people, when I really begin to talk, to talk to them and they haven't really kind of thought through it, they have a bit of a, their own goodness mentality. They look at themselves and they don't think they've done things that are that bad. They even read the list in Jeremiah 7 and go, yeah, I haven't really done anything that bad. I think I'm good. Like all I really do is live for myself. Like, and I'm, I'm a pretty good guy. So I don't understand the problem. I don't understand the difficulty. I don't understand why God would be upset with me. Like I'm a generally a really good guy who just happens to live for himself, but I go to church. Like I do good things. There's no safety in your spiritual heritage. I hear this sometimes. Yeah, my mom, uh, she's a really spiritual person. She passed away a number of years ago and she's kind of just, you know, she's got me covered. Hmm. If she really is a spiritual person, she would have known that she could not cover you. Your grandmother cannot intercede on your behalf. Jesus Christ is our only high priest and the one who intercedes for us. And so if you're kind of thinking, yeah, I, got, I come from a religious family and I'm just gonna kind of skate in with them. Yeah, I don't think you understand how the bouncer at the door works. Like you can't just sneak in. And so you can be, I'm very grateful for my spiritual heritage. And my spiritual heritage is a gift from the Lord. But if I do not follow Jesus Christ, my mama, as wonderful and as godly as she is, cannot save me. Only Jesus can save me. Here's one that's really, really popular right now. Our own authenticity. You know, the, the real, my, my most spiritual thing about me, man, is I'm real. Like, I'm a real mess, and I'm willing to admit it. Yeah, that's, that, that does not save you. This genuine authenticity is a, is, hear me, it's a, it's a good place to start, but it does not save to, to admit and to confess our brokenness is a great place to start. And then what? Then we go to Jesus and then he builds us or we, he, he rebuilds us by the power of the spirit. And, and build, I mean, that, that's what happens. But so many Christians are just kind of banking on their realness. And I'm telling you, your realness is not saving you. And then lastly, I see, I see this a lot from, from people who have a, a degree of spiritual conviction, but they have no desire to actually follow Jesus, is they just know how to just say they're sorry a lot. 
Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm really, really sorry. I'm a mess. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I need an accountability partner so I can tell them I'm sorry every Thursday and then do nothing about it. Have you ever, have you ever been in that relationship? I don't even know. Am I really holding you accountable? Or is this just a time where you come and talk about all the terrible things that you do? Um, and then Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, so there's biblical teachings on this. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7, there's the I'm sorry, which is a worldly sorrow, which is not saving. And then there is genuine biblical repentance, which leads to a changed life. The Bible is very clear about this. So sorry exists and authenticity exists. Spiritual heritages exist. Goodness exists. It's when we get it wrong and then we try to get it in our back pocket so that we can get God in our back pocket so that by our authenticity, by our being sorrow, then now God, you owe us. And Jesus says, stop the worship. It does not work like that. There's only safety in one thing, in one person, in Jesus. And that's what Jesus does at this moment. Stop it all. And he directs to himself. Like I'm the one that can bring peace. And I am the one that can make peace for God, with God, for you. And, and this is why Jesus teaches so much about who he is and what he has done. And, and therefore, as we uh, band people, come up here and let's, let's get ready to sing and, and to respond. But here's what I want you to do. And it may take you a moment. You might not want to stand and sing immediately. You might want to take a few moments to kind of think through this. But to genuinely ask, like, like Lord, am I, am, I, am I real? Now listen, I'm, I'm not saying that you can't struggle. This isn't one of those Saving Private Ryan moments. I don't believe in that movie, spiritually speaking. I mean, it's a great movie. But remember that? Remember Tom Hanks leaning up against the bridge and he grabs the other dude, whatever, Ryan, um, and he grabs him and he kind of pulls him close and he's, he's about to die. And he, what does he say? Earn this. Yeah. J Jesus isn't hanging on the cross going, earn this. So if, 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 if what you're hearing me do is, yeah, you really need to try to be gooder, try to be more spirit, that's not what I'm saying at all. It's lean into Jesus. Jesus on the cross says basically not earn this, but receive this. And how do I know I've received it? We know that we've received it when we worship him well and desire to honor him and to follow him. That's what it is. And therefore, I pray this morning that you will feel the Holy Spirit's confirmation of your conviction, that he will show you um, the reality of your current spiritual condition, and that he will affirm your worship is true and genuine, or he will convict you of its shallowness or misdirectedness, and so that you may find him. Because we're not here to become good people. We are here to worship the only one who is really good. Let us worship well this morning.